Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. Everybody, welcome to Terror Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hello there. Hello. So if you hear a little bit of a difference in our audio, it's just because we're recording remotely today. Uh, it's good practice. We're going to do some more of this from time to time, you know. All right. So today on the show, we are going to talk about the true crime documentary called In the Name of God, A Holy Betrayal. It's from 2023. There's one season out. I don't need any more seasons of this. <laughs> Thank you. Eight episodes. And we're not saying that because it's bad. It's actually a really excellent documentary. It's just incredibly hard to watch. Well, and I also think too, Shannon, I don't know how you feel about this, but I'd rather watch things in subtitles than to have like embarrassing, embarrassingly <laughs> yeah. bad dubs yes. voices that are that are almost insulting. Uh, it's on Netflix and I did not try to turn on subtitles or anything. So I'm not sure if there's a way to do that. Some Netflix documentaries, you can, you know, some things that are dubbed, you can do that. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't try. So yeah. I'm not sure if that was an option, but yeah, I listened mm-hmm. to it with the dubbed actors as well. And yeah, it definitely threw me out of it sometimes, but I can't say I wasn't grateful for that because it's really incredibly difficult content. This is deep and it's a long documentary. I mean, we had what, eight, eight episodes. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. I originally came upon this because I read an article about how the filmmaker and the, and I don't know if it was Netflix or what, but I know the filmmaker was being sued by by the cults that are in this documentary so that it would, they were trying to have it not have wide distribution and have it not be aired on Netflix and for the Mm -hmm. whole world to see, Mm -hmm. you know, South Korea, not at its finest. That's how I originally came upon it as I saw that article. And I was like, all right, well, and then Kathy was like, we should, you know, watch it for the show. I said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what we were signing up for, but (laughs) It was actually like four different cults, right? I Yeah, I thought it was going to be the same thing the whole time. And then it was, um, I, I, and I was sharing this with you before we started recording. I'm somewhat thankful that they switched it, even though although all of them were hard to watch, I don't know if I could have taken eight episodes of this first dude. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I also saw an article that before we get into talking about it specifically, I also saw an article that the producer of the documentary says he's been like carrying around a stun gun and a baton for protection. Mm. One of the reasons why he got involved, this producer, you know, said that some of the victims of some of these cults were his family and friends. And so it's been a long time sort of homework for him to cover cults and the story of cults. And, you know, that's a personal topic for him. And, you know, like I said, they, they've been sued by the sex that 
sects. I don't know if I can pronounce that. So you don't think I'm saying sects. S-E-C-T? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like, that's not going to sound like how I meant it. Uh, I know that they've been being sued by that, uh, by them. And so, you know, obviously, at least from what we know about human nature, they're going to get death threats and mm-hmm. because there is a lot of criminality in every single one of these cults and mm-hmm. it's incredibly disturbing. And so I know that there's been some articles about him saying sort of like, I have a daughter and a son and I get worried about that. They're very young. They're like just going to kindergarten or whatever. And he's like, and I worry about that. So I carry protection with me because I'm really not sure what people are going to do. So, and that makes sense after having seen it, those, the suing them getting sued also makes sense. Like you watch it, you're like, Oh, well, and then even uh, intermittently throughout some of the different stories there, I think, especially in this first one, the cults were actually stating that the people that they were running to for help were actually the ones that were going to harm them, right? Like, oh, they're going to betray you, kind of projecting onto them what they themselves were going to do if their people betrayed them. And so uh, I would imagine, and I know that the director producer was not a, a victim of this, but I would imagine that there was a lot of this kind of crazy making and not knowing if they would be harmed, even being involved in the making of this documentary and in their yeah. testimonials, like really spoke to how much they wanted this story out, but to the point that it even jeopardized their own safety, because we know once we test, we have test and make testimonials on things like this, and it's out there, your face, your name, you've now exposed these people. And some of these folks are, you know, their risk increased just by participating. Absolutely. We're not saying, at least I'm not saying this documentary is bad. I think it's a really good documentary and that's why it's getting all of this uh, Mm -hmm. because what Kathy's saying is that there are lots and lots of interviews with victims and family members of victims and and a lot of video footage of people in the cults and police footage. They got a lot of footage. They did for something that was, I'm sure, very difficult to make because you had to do it all in secret or get killed, maybe. You know, this is one of those situations where these people did not want to be exposed in the way because I'm not sure if it's every single one of the cults that they cover, but most of them are still operating. Mm-hmm. They are. In fact, I went to the the, the last one, God of Monmen. I went to their website yeah. and it's still like completely active. <laughs> yeah. It's like when we were, we've talked about several cults that are still operating and I can see why they would not want anyone to mess with them because they're doing a lot of terrible things and they're soliciting new victims all the time, mm-hmm. I imagine. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I'd like to say about this too is I do I do believe it's worth a watch. I did think it was an excellent documentary. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I've reached out to people I know who watch true crime documentaries and mentioned it like, "Hey, have you seen this?" And they and they mostly haven't. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's because it's not an American story that's been in our news a lot mm-hmm. and m- most the people that I'm asking are mostly American, so they're just not aware of it. And I do think it's really important to, to watch it, to support this writer producer and the, and the crew to get this out there because they're going through a lot to have exposed this to the world. And it's super important because these cults are still operating and everybody wants to 
make sure they know about that. A few facts about this, just so you know. So these are based on true stories. It's on Netflix. It's eight episodes. It's, you know, this year, 2023. They're, uh, it's adapted from the story of four different cults in South Korea. So the names of the four cults are the Providence, which is like a Christian gospel mission. Number two is Five Oceans. Number three is Baby Garden. And number four that Kathy already mentioned is the Manmin Central Church. And so those are the four cults that they're talking about. And they have a lot of different informants who had joined the cult, got out of the cult, et cetera, that are a part of this documentary series. So I think that's very, that's what you can, you can see how that would make this very interesting. Yeah. That this really, we already touched on it, but it really does show the dark side of South Korea a very dark side. So a lot of times you'll see dramas and movies from South Korea that have a lot of beauty because it's a very beautiful country. This takes a very different route. It doesn't show that beauty. It definitely shows the dark side, the underbelly, a lot of industrial areas are where these cults are. You know, they might be in big fields, but they're very isolated. Mm-hmm. It's just a really different take on it. And then the other thing is that it is hard to watch. Right. Like we did, we touched on that already. It is hard to watch. In the first 10 minutes of the first episode, you're already understanding that it's an incredibly cruel situation that these people find themselves in and just know that like it's not bingeable. No, which is funny because I was looking at one of the articles that said eight episodes that you can binge. I'm like, who the hell binges this? I, I, this is not the feel good documentary of the year, folks. I came into it kind of clean so I could watch the first couple. I watched the first, I think, two, one weekend morning, and I'm like, hmm, this really isn't the way I want to start my day. Nope. I had to, I watched a lot of them like on the Peloton and things like that. Cause I'm like, I got to literally kill two birds with one stone because it, it, it's like you said, it's, it's almost too good yeah. because they, it's so real, but the reenactments, I'm not going to lie. The reenactments killed me. Um, they were really hard to watch and some of them really pulled you out of the story because they were so annoying, but the, but the actual facts of this documentary and the direction of it and the people that they got to do. Uh, I can't believe how many victims they were able to pull to to do testimonials. It was really, really, really something to see how many people were like, we want our stories told. Yeah, it's very comprehensive. And I can understand why they would want to be comprehensive about it, because I imagine they were aware that they were going to have some kind of threats, legality, you know, people were going to question whether it was true. I imagine, you know, the cults or the churches or whatever they call themselves were going to, if they didn't have a lot of the information, they were going to definitely go, oh, that didn't happen, you know. That's right. And I think to for me, the two biggest, I don't know, the two central issues, which this is not going to come to, you know, as a shock to anybody that are, I think are highlighted throughout all four episodes are um, sex and money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, using people's sexuality against them to for power and control and same with money, guilting people. And then, you know, using in the name of God, which is the name of the whole documentary as justification, rationalization, even as, um, you know, a way of promoting their abuse 
God wants you to do this. You know, this, this is an offering. This is a gift. You should at least do this. But if you really want to get closer to the kingdom or you really believe that I am the second coming, then you'll do more to the point where people were like losing their little, the literal shirts off their backs. Um, so much sexual trauma. And that's why Shannon's saying you, you kind of have to go in with that trigger warning of knowing that these are maybe not to the extent but these could feel very personal to some of you who have been through sexual trauma. So, yeah, trigger warnings for rape, trigger warnings for child abuse, animals, maybe a little, a little bit. bit. It wasn't like a big concentration of it. Uh, certainly death and dead bodies. They show that. Mm-hmm. Neglect. Yeah, neglect. I, I, I'm feeling like it's all covered in there, but I, but that's probably not true. I don't know. I didn't keep a list, but those were the, some of the worst for me. I think... Um, one of the hardest episodes for me to watch was uh, it, during the, the third cult in Baby Garden when the woman really wanted to die because she realized that she had killed her own child over this thing. And I can't imagine having to live with that kind of grief and remorse and shame and all of that. I mean, that is just, that's hell on earth. Yeah, when I got to that episode, which I believe is episode five, and I saw the name of it, and, you know, I know what I'm in for, right? The literal episode name is called The Baby Garden. I'm like, oh, for the love of... Yeah. Like, you just... Like, what else could that mean? Yeah, I, exactly. You're watching a, a thing about cults and murder, and you've just watched four episodes of rape and sexual abuse, and then you get to episode five, and it's called The Baby Garden. And you're just like, mother of God, what oh, the fuck? It only gets worse. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. like, you know what that is when you hear it, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's exactly what you think it is, only a bit worse, honestly, much mm-hmm. worse than I thought it was going to be in some ways what they were doing there. But yeah, in that episode, I agree with you, Kathy. There's a a mother of a, one of the dead children, and she is such an effective and sad interview. You know, for a viewer, it's so effective in bringing up the audience's mm-hmm. understanding and empathy. And I think the producers and directors did a great job of including a lot of her pain and a lot of what she's going through because I think it's very easy for people to watch something like this in from any country and sort of say, like, how could, you know, how could a mother do that? You know, we just had Mother's Day, so... This is kind of topical in that way. It's like, how could a mother have done that? How could you bring your children into that? How could you stay with that? Like, there's going to be a lot of people that don't understand that psychology and how you get there. Right. She's a victim. And I believe it's really important to have empathy for for that. Not just having empathy for all of the children that were affected. We, we tend to easily mm-hmm. give empathy for children who are manipulated and not as much mm-hmm. for Um, women and men who are manipulated because we see them like as adults and blah, blah, blah. I was reading one article that I thought was really interesting about how we find, how we can find ourselves in these kinds of cults and in these kinds of situations, Mm. you know, the manipulation. Sure. And one of the thing, you know, I've read a lot of these, Kathy's read a lot of these, but one thing I found interesting is that the person who was writing this was asserting that the one of the big reasons is uh, finding a sense of comfort. Mm -hmm. And that seems simple on the surface, but if you think about religion and God and spirituality and how a lot of people will turn to spirituality and religion in times of pain and grief and to make 
to make it so that there is a larger power that I can appeal to for comfort. A lot of what faith and what we talk about in psychology with our clients, and it's a protective factor, you know, faith is a protective factor because it's hopeful and it gives us comfort Mm -hmm. to believe that there's a reason for things to happen. And that is absolutely true. (laughs) When you pray or when people believe in things, because obviously not all churches are bad. In fact, most of them aren't. Mm-hmm. You find comfort in that. You find comfort with your peers at church. You find comfort in the music, like whatever it is. It can be a community for people. Yeah, it goes beyond just the faith. Yeah, they go, They all go to that looking for that. They're still looking for that sense of comfort that they got in the beginning, like any relationship. <laughs> any abusive relationship, right? That's right. And, and also to follow that, like any abusive relationship, I think what happens when, you know, with let's say within this church or this faith system, this small little cult develops and starts to pull out and it becomes exclusive to this certain group of people is the message then really becomes the more deprivation, the better you are, the closer you are to God as if some, you know, and this benefits obviously the cult leader. So when people are feeling uncomfortable they just normalize that through like, well, it's because you, you, you've been selfish and you're getting used to, you know, they don't use the word deprivation, but in a sense, they're becoming addicted to deprivation. And we see that in any cycle of an abusive relationship. It's not the goal of the person consciously, but over time, as the person loses themselves, they become addicted to a sense of deprivation. So anything that feels good or anything that feels healthy actually begins to feel destabilizing for them. And then they stay. And then they stay because that deprivation then- A lot of times because they can't get out. (laughs) Right. Well, and then they just begin to believe that the deprivation is that, that becomes the homeostasis that becomes, oh, I'm feeling this way and that's good for me um, because that shows how much I'm giving myself to God or whatever. And it's the chaos and confusion psychologically that happens with the like the delusion of what's real anymore right? that we've Mm -hmm. talked about a lot of times. And I also see the cult manipulation, the cult leaders manipulation in stages. So there's that, that first stage where they're seducing you, they're promising you. It's, it's just the cycle of abuse, but with cult leaders, it's like they're seducing you into it. They're making promises. They're delivering on some of the promises so that you understand that, you know, they're real and that's true. And they're, selling a delusion. And then it shifts when you start to ask questions, they start to take all your money, they start raping you, whatever the first sense of this isn't right. And I'm being uh, victimized is wherever that comes for the individual person, then it shifts, then it shifts to power, control, you can't go anywhere, you know, and then it gets more and more brutal Then they're beating you, then they're mm-hmm. chaining you up, then they're mm-hmm. uh, ultimately killing you in a lot of these cults. So there's like stages, right? They don't right. use the nice part no. in the stage where they're, where they're beating you into submission. Right. That's right. That I think that was one of the more brutal pieces of this particular documentary, not only that it's still going on and that they still exist, but to that they show all of that. They show all of the stages. I think in America, we get very well seduced into the seduction portion of it Mm -hmm. because we think as people, okay, if I can watch the seduction portion and I can make sure that I don't do that or that doesn't happen to me, then I can understand psychopathy more effectively and not get seduced. 
But this one, this documentary goes through all of the stages where you see where it goes all the way through. Now they don't name them because they're not psychologists, but but you get it all, which is what's so brutal about it. It is. There's this uh, promise right at the beginning of we're going to rescue you, we're going to take care of you, we're going to give you everything. There's going to be so much comfort and safety, and after that buy-in. There's you never see that again. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And and um, I, I just think that this documentary is really important for people to watch only because this isn't this is clearly not something that is, you know, unique to South Korea. Uh, it happens every day within our own churches and systems. And I mean, we see it in law enforcement. We see it in the church community. We see it in politics. We see it in our school system. Every single day in our country, this exists, even on smaller scales. I was doing some research as I do. I was reading about Manson the other day. And then and then I started reading about Joan, Jim Jones. And I'm reading this book uh, called Raven by Tim Reiterman. It's really interesting. But I I thought this was an interesting take because we were watching cults and I thought, oh, that makes sense to me. I'm going to read a little bit of this, but I want to give a qualifier first. Is this about, this is about like the lessons we can learn from these situations. And this is, this is specifically a quote about the lessons we could learn from Jonestown, which I thought was kind of adept or just succinct. For the lessons of Jonestown, while hard for some to accept, raise fundamental issues about this country, meaning America about the failure of institutions, because this is what you're bringing up. So this is why I wanted to grab this quote about the failure of institutions, including the churches, the growth of non-traditional religions. So it makes it more easily embraceable, right? Oh, a new religion, a new thing. We don't like the old, we want the Mm -hmm. new. And that culture breeds this kind of thing. The importance of the nuclear family, because they really prey on that a lot in the in this particular documentary. The depth of racism, because if you didn't have the racism, you really wouldn't have anything in Jonestown. Or sec- any of the isms for any of these cults. Really, yeah, right? any of the isms for sure. And so that applies here too. The rise of the right, which was very important for Jonestown, but I don't know how it would apply to this documentary. The methods of distributing economic resources. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge piece of it. And the susceptibility of the political system to be manipulated by organized groups. Mm. So that's happening too, right? And certainly in Jonestown, but here too. And in all of the older cults that we've talked about for the most part. And then the treatment of our unwanted children, elderly and poor. So that mm. is incredibly relevant to Jonestown. Mm-hmm. But I think it's relevant here too. The el- you saw a lot of elderly being abused in these too. They were. I was just about to say when you said that too, like earlier when I was saying politics and things too. It's just that you know certain politicians, they will really breed on certain marginalized groups to get votes, and and this could be any side just because they are the most vulnerable at wanting to feel safe. So let me give you all these false promises and let me show you what I'm doing. Let me show you what this other side, you know, they're going to make your life hell and they're not going to, and, and then they can get pulled into these things. Uh, we saw this a lot too um, during COVID. There were elders that were getting calls from these groups that said that they had the vaccine for COVID, you know, just vulnerable groups being targeted because they're like, oh, I will do anything to feel safe. And then the next thing you know, you know, they're, they're getting robbed blind and there's elder financial abuse happening. So I just wanted to, to kind of 
throw that out there that the more marginalized or more vulnerable uh, a community is, they tend to be the more victims of this, why we see women, why we see people of color, why we see minorities of any kind, elders, children, animals at the mercy of these larger systems of these privileged folks. So, And on that note, I think we both recommend it as a non-bingeable watch, but if you do like to, to keep abreast of uh, solid documentaries and, and these kinds of stories, the kinds of things that we review, please take a take a look and let us know what you think. And on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up for the day. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.